Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PM and R from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode in the Rust Rehabilitation Podcast Series. Today's interview is one of many that will make it possible to learn about developments in the field of rehabilitation aimed at improving the lives of patients. I'm honored to have two guests today. Dr. Kimberly Sackheim is an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at New York University Langone Health, and she is also the owner and the founder of a private patient management clinic that's going to be dealing with the whole issue of pain. Dr. Alessia Yevdayev is a senior physical therapist in the outpatient physical therapy department at Rusk Rehabilitation, NYU Langone Health. So thank you both for being here today. Thank you. You're most welcome. As a pain management physician, Dr. Sackheim is board certified by the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation with subspecialties in both pain management and brain injury medicine. She completed her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. Her fellowship training took place at the Beth Israel Medical Center, also in New York City. She treats all types of pelvic pain disorders, including pelvic floor dysfunction, rectal pain, headache, jaw pain, along the spine, and joint pain. Dr. Yevdayev has a Bachelor of Science degree from Truro College and a Bachelor of Arts degree from Hunter College. She earned her Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from Truro College, where she received an Outstanding Clinical Achievement Award. She has seven and a half years of professional experience in orthopedics and sports rehabilitation, utilizing the Mulligan Method, McKinsey Method, and manual therapy with a concentration on pelvic floor, pregnancy, osteoporosis, oncology, and lymphedema rehabilitation. She also is involved in community services, patient education, and has presented lectures at NYU in Brooklyn and also at the 26th Cancer Conference. So let's begin with each of you informing our listeners regarding what inspired you to become involved in providing pelvic floor rehabilitation for women. I was already practicing for a year when I became pregnant with my first child, and I ended up getting a lot of postpartum issues after having a vaginal delivery, both back pain, pelvic pain, inability to have a proper bowel movement, and urinary incontinence all at the same time. And that inspired me to specialize in the pelvic floor rehab and orthopedics combined. That's how I got into this. And this is Dr. Sackheim. I got into this in a roundabout way. I joined NYU about five years ago, and I started getting referrals for patients who were complaining of vaginal pain or rectal pain or pain with sex. And there was no one else in all of NYU that could help these people. They had already seen multiple doctors. So I started doing research and talking to people and figuring out everything I could do to help them. And that's how it happened. Very good. Thank you for those responses. Please indicate the kinds of pelvic floor disorders that women can experience. 
with pelvic pain, dyspareunia, vaginismus, incontinence, pain with bowel movements, postpartum pain, pain with pregnancy. I think she said incontinence, right? Yeah. They can also get painful bladder syndrome. They can have neuropathic pain, which means it's caused from a nerve. So they can get something called pudendal neuralgia, which means that the nerve in the pelvic floor is irritated, causing symptoms in the vaginal and rectal area. And there are a lot of other nerves in that area as well that can also be irritated, but that is the one that we see most commonly. I do have to say that some pelvic pain can be referred from the hip. That's true. So some orthopedic conditions can refer to the pelvis, including the lower back. And obviously there's always visceral issues that can be sure. causing this, but that's all ruled out usually prior to them getting to us. Now, as far as the terminology, pelvic floor dysfunction, did you cover all of those symptoms or are there any others that you'd like to mention? Yeah, we mentioned all of them. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but this can also happen in men, not just in women. So men can actually have scrotal pain or testicular pain, and they can have rectal pain. They can have burning, or they can have the sensation of feeling a golf ball in the rectal area. Most of these patients, men and women, do have increase in their pain when they sit. They can have pain in the perineal region. They could have chronic constipation or leakage of stool as well as urine. They could have the sensation of an incomplete evacuation, buttock pain, pain in the coccyx, pain when they go to the restroom. Women often have pain with sex, but men can have that as well. And women can have a hypersensitivity, sometimes at the clitoral region, and also pelvic and abdominal pain. Now, based on your experience as clinicians, what percentage of these patients would be men, for example? About 50 to 20% of the general population in women have chronic pelvic pain, but this is not as well defined in men. So I can only speak for what I see clinically, and I'm sure Alessia can as well. And I would say it's definitely a lower percentage out of all of my chronic pain pelvic pain patients, I would say probably 5% of them are men, but they do sometimes have more severe symptoms than the women have. In my practice, I actually see approximately 50% men and 50% women because I currently practice at the men's center in Midtown. So I do see a lot of men with pelvic floor dysfunction and chronic pelvic pain. Now, one of the symptoms you mentioned for men is something the size of a golf ball. They certainly would be aware of that one, I'm sure. So what might be some of the causes of other painful symptoms in the pelvic, the rectal, or the vaginal area? Which conditions do you mean? Well, what would be some of the causes of painful symptoms in those particular parts of the body? So a prostate infection would give people pelvic pain, constipation, like Dr. Sakai mentioned, painful bladder, endometriosis. They could even just purely have a muscular issue where their pelvic floor is either hypertonic and causing spasm or hypotonic and causing urinary incontinence or bowel incontinence. So most of the people in the world hold stress in their neck and their upper shoulders. But there are people out there that actually hold stress in their pelvic floor. And they know who they are because they've been suffering with this forever. But unfortunately, 
because this is not a widely known specialty, they don't realize that there's someone that they can go to for help. And the doctors that they see don't realize that there's someone that they can refer to for help. So often these patients go for years and years and years being untreated and suffering. A lot of them can't even tolerate a vaginal exam when they go to the gynecologist Mm -hmm. because they have such spasming that they can't even have something enter the vaginal area. And it's pretty, it's pretty uncomfortable for these people. They're really suffering. Now, for these kinds of conditions, are there anything in the way of injections that might be available to help treat these individuals that are experiencing any one of the, the types you mentioned, pelvic, rectal, and even vaginal pain? So there's a lot of stuff that we can do to help to treat these patients. And I might start with answering a little bit of one of your future questions, but we can use nerve medications because nerves can cause this. So things like gabapentin and Lyrica and antidepressants and anticonvulsants, those are medications that we can use to help calm this down. Sometimes we can also use muscle relaxers to help relax the muscles. And specifically, often these patients do get prescribed rectal or vaginal Valium suppositories. And these are suppositories that they can use directly at the area of concern to help relax the muscles and they are made at compounding pharmacies. So regular pharmacies usually don't carry these, but there are also other suppositories that are made from other different ingredients like baclofen or gabapentin and lots of things that can help them. Pelvic therapy is obviously a humongous help to these patients. And obviously without Alessia, I, she makes me look good because I need her for her, for the, her help with the patients. But injection wise, there's a lot of things that we can do all of this is not standard yet because this is a new and upcoming you know, specialty, but we can do trigger point injections with lidocaine or marcaine in the vaginal wall or in the rectal area. We can do trigger point injections anywhere else you know, that might be painful. We can do peripheral nerve blocks. So if someone does have pudendal neuralgia, like I mentioned earlier, we can actually block the pudendal nerve with some numbing medicine and steroid. This is usually done with guidance, either fluoroscopy or ultrasound. And that can give the patient months of relief, as well as all of the other nerves, the genitofemoral nerve, the ilioinguinal nerve, any of these nerves can be blocked. And if the pain relief from these nerve injections is not long lasting, we can actually do an ablation or radial frequency where we kind of burn the nerve a little bit or freeze the nerve to kind of tell it to stop sending this pain signal over and over again. Other injections that have been recently starting to be used are Botox injections. So they're using botulinum toxin in the vaginal wall or in the vulvar area or in the rectal area to help calm down these muscles from spasming. And that can sometimes give up to three to six months of relief at a time. From the standpoint of causative type factors, to what extent would delivering a child, for example, having a baby, or even just growing older as part of the life cycle, how do these kinds of factors, if in any way, influence the occurrence of pelvic fluid disorders? Yeah, a lot of it depends on the woman, on the way she carries the pregnancy, on the size of the baby, on the anatomy size of the woman, but Carrying a baby for nine months in the pelvic floor, walking and moving around with that extra weight and all that pressure in the pelvis, 
definitely weakens the core and definitely weakens and stretches the pelvic floor, giving all of these secondary conditions. The delivery has a lot to do with it. The first stage of the delivery, the second stage of delivery, and then finally the delivery itself, right? If the second stage of the labor is prolonged where a woman has to be on her back with all that pressure pushing down on the perineum for hours and hours and hours, then she has to push for hours and hours. The recovery from that is going to be a hell of a lot tougher than the women that deliver faster. I also see a difference in women who have C-sections versus vaginal deliveries. I don't often have a woman with a C-section coming to me with pelvic floor dysfunction. So it does prove that way that there is something to the vaginal delivery part that is affecting us at birth. And I do see more of these symptoms in the second birth versus the first birth. Because things are already overstrived exactly. to begin with. So if women don't rehab between their pregnancies and between their deliveries, then it is very possible that with every consecutive vaginal delivery, they are further weakening their pelvic floor musculature. And overall, I think that every pregnant woman should have some sort of pelvic therapy because it does make a difference even in their rehabilitation afterwards to prevent issues. But unfortunately, we don't all take care of ourselves and not every gynecologist or obstetrician knows to say, hey, why don't you go see this pelvic floor therapist to make sure you have no issues afterwards. You know, Dr. Sackham, in France, it's mandatory. Yeah, see, that's that's how it should be. <laughs> I agree. It's very helpful. And a lot of women don't speak up and they don't say, hey, I'm having a little leakage of urine. They're embarrassed. These are symptoms that are not easy to talk about. And when it comes to age, age is, is the same thing. As we get older, all of our muscles can get weaker, and especially the pelvic floor, especially if we've had pregnancies prior. Now, you mentioned patients speaking up, and with all the emphasis today on patient-centered care, have you had any instances where a woman might say, I've heard that vaginal delivery can result in different kinds of problems and everything that could affect my pelvic floor? If that's true, wouldn't it be better if I just had a C-section? What do you think of that, doctor? Do you ever hear cases like that come up where they're the ones who originate it? I have had that brought up and even my friends have brought that up to me and I think there's pros and cons to both ways. I would never be a proponent for someone having general anesthesia or a surgery just because I think that you know our bodies are created a certain way and I think that there is a natural way to do things. I think that if there are appropriate reasons for someone to have a c-section then they should have a c-section but I don't think to avoid pelvic floor issues is a reason, I don't think, to have a C-section. Now, earlier it was mentioned that injections represent one type of intervention to treat these kinds of problems. What about some other modalities, such as physical therapy? How does physical therapy contribute to positive outcomes with these patients? Well, physical therapy, I think, is great. This is why. We don't have a protocol to treat all patients because all people present with different types of pain and different types of pelvic floor dysfunction, what we do is we do a very thorough initial evaluation. 
And based on our objective findings, and of course, based on what the patient comes in complaining of, we come up with a treatment plan. So for patients who have pain secondary to weakness and the postpartum state, then we work on neuromuscular reeducation and strengthening bladder control, proper lifting techniques, and such activities. People that come in with spasms and other conditions, then we focus on more flexibility and manual work. It all depends. It all depends on how patients present. But we have all sorts of things that we can use, including manual therapy, exercise, neuromuscular reeducation, using the biofeedback machine, vaginal dilator. Right. So Alessia also does internal stuff that is very beneficial to the patients. And it's really important to make them feel comfortable. And that's, that's a hard thing to learn. And she's mastered it. Thank you. Does it usually involve a combination of approaches? Absolutely. Always a combination. There's never a one thing that works for everyone. There are times that we have to try one thing, see if it works or not, and then then try something else. But I forgot to mention, education is probably the biggest thing that we cover in pelvic floor rehab. We teach our patients how to help themselves, first and foremost. But also, just like back pain, you can't just have one thing to treat back pain. It's a team effort. Everybody provides something different to the patient. I don't think one person can always make everything better. I think that each person in the team provides something different to help the patient overall feel better. Absolutely. I had a patient recently that I was treating for rectal pain and rectal spasticity. She had a really hard time having bowel movements. And that she was getting better. But at some point, I had to say, listen, go and see Dr. Sackheim because I feel like we're not making enough of an improvement. And after two visits with Dr. Sackheim, I had to discharge her because she was 100% better. Woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Sackheim and Yevdayev, I'm going to conclude part one of this interview by thanking you both for sharing your insights with our listeners about several important topics pertaining to the rehabilitation of adult patients with pelvic floor disorders. A second part of this interview will be made available on a separate occasion, and our listeners are invited to access it also. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at nyulangone.org slash Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcast.